I think a lot of it is is people uh, understanding numbers for sure, understanding the deal, understanding the the asset, understanding the structure, understanding the market, understanding the operator. All these things are all data points um, that are add up at the end. You know, so uh, when you know when we talk. We're not going through them, but there, these things are happening so quickly, so fast, and all at the same time that sometimes we don't break down that process in our mind how we're going through. And if you go in with um, thinking that you're going to invest with somebody before you even do due diligence, you're going to skip all that. All right, welcome to another episode of the Legacy Wealth Podcast. I'm your host, Pascal Wagner, and on this show, we teach accredited business owners how to invest in private alternative assets. And today on the show, we have Jay Borgana, who is a veteran management consultant turned business owner. He started the Home Early Real Estate Group, uh, which he grew from zero to 350 million in real estate sales in four years facilitating over 5,000 real estate transactions and subsequently subsequently getting acquired. And now uh, Jay is the founder of Foresight Partners, a private equity company committed to turning good businesses into exceptional ones. He lives uh, at, in Oahu, Hawaii with his wife and two kids, and he's invested over $2 million as an LP, and I'm super excited to have him on the show. Welcome, Jay. Thank you for having me. Hell yeah. So uh, to, to get us started, as I love to start every every show, give us a little bit of your background and story of how it relates to eventually investing in your first fund. Yeah, so I had just sold my company and um, I was kind of looking for ways to invest. And I started investing in real estate. I bought... Um, commercial uh, retail centers and I bought some uh, short-term rental properties and uh, being part of multiple mastermind groups uh, started hearing about um, the high returns that some of my friends were getting through uh, limited partnerships and um, I got curious so I started diving deeper into um, multifamily syndications as well as um, private equity funds and that's when I started investing got it so um, give us give us a little bit more of the journey of before you started investing uh, in these funds of like maybe wh why you didn't start doing it earlier and how you just kept reinvesting in the current business that you had then before getting acquired yeah, and I mean when you when you when you're growing a business, uh, especially the way we were growing, we were growing forty percent a year. Uh, you're constantly reinvesting back into uh, hiring talent, marketing, um, operations. So honestly, uh, there wasn't enough room to be able to invest in anything else outside of the business that I was growing. And like you mentioned earlier, we went from zero to $350 million in sales within four years. It's massive growth that requires a lot of energy, time and capital. And there's honestly, there's no rule. There is no room for that. Um, it was either going to sell or I'm going to take on a partner and um, get a liquidity event to be able to have enough capital to be able to invest in anything else. 
Why did you why did you eventually end up selling? Like why not continue growing that business, put put someone in place, maybe be more passive? Why why sell that and then and then invest your capital elsewhere? That's a great question. So the goal uh, for me was to essentially grow easier, faster. And uh, we had uh, essentially we wanted to connect to a mothership. So the company that uh, bought equity in our in our business uh, was a, a six billion dollar company, and they were growing through acquisition uh, fast. And so we had the ability to join them and absorb some of the divisions that look like ours and uh, increase our revenue and our profitability without adding more overhead and also just tag along to their um, to their organic growth the company's been around for 40 years so it, it almost has its own um, gravity pull so they, they they get people it's a lot easier for them to to recruit it's a lot easier for them to get the big um, uh, big companies uh, big banks or big organizations to work with them and so just having affiliation with them that opened up um, doors for us so when we joined them we essentially doubled every year from now on from from that point on so i ended up exiting twice i exited the first time and exited the second time at the end three years later got it so so you, you joined with this company they they took an equity stake you continued growing with them and then eventually they just bought the whole company Correct. and Correct. you were and, and just was the right time to do that and then that's when you moved on yes correct okay okay so so then walk me through so you have this big pile of cash and it's probably burning a hole in your bank account uh what what, what are you doing then why why not look at equities you know m maybe you did maybe you put a portion of it into into all these different investments how did you think about what to do with that pile of cash yeah so at first it was um a tax mitigation strategy so i needed as big of you know a commercial building i could get to cost segregate and get depreciation um to alleviate some of that tax burden so that was the first thing and then um, the next thing was, okay, well, uh, let's invest in something that's growing. Uh, so at first it was commercial real estate for taxes. And then we looked at uh, short-term rentals as a way to, for fast growth and high cash flow, high revenue. But at the same time, the values were growing, real estate values were growing up so fast. So we, we can build equity and we can pull that equity and reinvest back into other things. And, um, and then, and then we went into the uh, real estate flipping was, was, was big. So I invested in an, uh, as an LP in, uh, a syndication. And then I went into multifamily now because multifamily was doing so well at the time and the returns were really high. Uh, so I went, I'm, I'm talking the period between, you know, um, 18, 19, I was doing stuff on my own. 20, 21, 22 is where everything was hot. And that's when I went more limited partner than, uh, yeah, than doing stuff on my own. Yeah. So, so when you talk about you had this big tax burden from this acquisition, what, was your goal to try and reduce that tax down to zero? Did you, was it to 50%? And then, and then, so each multifamily deal that you might have invested in gave you like you invest. 100k and you can write off 
fifty percent of that. What's uh, what did that look like, and how, yeah, first, how did you think? Yeah, about that? so at first it was it was always looking for dollar for dollar. So I wouldn't do any investment unless I put a dollar in. I get a dollar in uh, depreciation. So that was usually my my investment, uh, my my thesis because I did I I did transactions on my own where I got more. I got two three dollars per dollar invested in depreciation. So it was very important for me to get that, maximize the amount of depreciation I get during that first uh, period. And then once I did that, then the second thing was how, how, how can I maximize the cash flow? Um, and then later on when appreciation, value appreciation was going up, then I was like, oh, how can I maximize the amount of like big, um, uh, big exits? And, and then once the market turned, then we started focused more on cash flow than anything else because we knew valuations were going to go flat. Totally. Uh, okay. <clears throat> Help, helpful to frame that picture. So walk us through walk us through that first fund that you invested into. Like, who were you talking to? How did you get introduced to it? How did how did you make the decision to finally overcome the fear of investing in your first deal? Yeah, so I'm I'm part of GoBundance and uh, I've been in GoBundance since 2017, and I've been to a lot of um, a lot of the events. I've been to a lot of uh, chapter events, and um, at the time I lived in California, so I was close to the LA chapter, and we used to meet all the time, and so I used to hear all the you know the the outcomes, all the um, hey we, we you know we you know, we just sold this multifamily building and uh, I'm getting double my money and um, and only after four years and, you know, so-and-so did such a good job. I'm going to reinvest back in into the same fund. So when you're around, surrounded with people that are smart and that have done, have, ex have had ex multiple experiences with certain operators, it's much easier to just piggyback on that experience and say, hey, um, you know, can I get the contact of so-and-so and, and, you know, let me reach out to them and sign up for their website or whatever, and then have that one-on-one -on -one Zoom call with them and, and then understand what the next, what the pipeline looks like for them in terms of the next couple deals. And that's how, how it, it worked for me. It was just being around people that have already invested in other funds and then just piggybacking on their experience. Yeah. Making it so that when you're surrounded by a bunch of people who've already done it, it makes it so much easier to take that that next step. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. So <clears throat> I wanted to go down the rabbit hole of, uh, of <clears throat> one of those more, more of that first fund, but yeah. Um, <clears throat> do you think there's more, more to uncover there? Or? Well, go ahead. What, what was your, what are your thoughts there? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm interested in what does it look, what did that first deal look like? Okay. So you're in this time period where, you know, uh, you you want to get a bunch of depreciation for your uh, tax uh, burden, and you know, are you? Did you think about? Oh, I want to make sure. You know, I don't care really what the deal looks like. This operator is one that my friends have invested into, and I'm I'm super interested. Or, or, you know, what did the diligence look like for that first deal? Yeah, that's a good question. Um. Honestly, the diligence was because at the time when I first started doing this, I didn't know enough. I didn't know what I didn't what I didn't know. 
You know, I mean, now I've done a few deals, I understand more. But at the time, I wouldn't understand what an IRR was. I wouldn't, I would tell you what I would thinking through. I was thinking in terms of very simple in terms of capital multiples. So, okay. So I heard that so-and-so got two times their money within three to four years. I want that. And, and then I, and then, uh, tell me about this deal. Tell me about, you know, your, 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 uh, projections in terms of rent growth, your projections in terms of interest rate, your projections in terms of, you know, so I got that first deal analyzer. I looked at it. I, I asked the question about where they and where they got their rent growth. And the person that I invested with the first time was very conservative. So it ended up doing much better than what was projected and also the time you know we were we're talking about 2019 so everything that you bought in 2019 did really well the following you know four years so so honestly that i got lucky in a way where i had friends who have um the first okay so they gave me like two or three people so it's it's kind of like a little bit of a psychology too because they gave me three people to talk to the first one didn't want to talk to me he didn't even want to take my, he didn't want to take my money. He didn't want to take on new investors. He was like already had plenty of investors that are experienced, know him, trust him. And he almost like was reserving positions within his deals for these investors that he's worked with in the past. Which I think is pretty common, actually. Yes. Yeah. So, so now having that experience, I felt like awkward a little bit, or I felt like I'm not good enough. <laughs> so, so that was part of like, almost like as you're going into the next conversation, you're not trying to push too hard or you're not trying to, you're trying not to be hard to work with or you're trying to, you know what I mean? Right. So, so that's where kind of like almost like a reverse psychology there where, um, I had to kind of get, um, my due diligence was a lot weaker and, but I understood what I was looking for. I was looking for a certain, uh, multiple on capital. I was looking for understanding of what the assumptions were in the deal and just and and for me it's not really a matter of like accuracy of the the information is the tone on how um how their things are explained it's it's more qualitative you know i mean i i used to be a business consultant and i hired i interviewed thousands of people so i've developed essentially pattern recognition for people and so i can tell when someone is you know, telling you the truth, someone is bullshitting. And I could tell someone is, you know, someone is knows, knows their, knows the details and understand the assumptions and where they're coming from. And, and then and, and they can explain any number within their spreadsheet. And I know the people that are in copy pasting stuff or just using old spreadsheets or just, you know, BSing the numbers. So, um, yeah. so I can rely on that pretty much you know, uh, to, to achieve probably 80% of the outcome. Yeah. Is there, is there like a type of tone that you, so, I mean, you're pretty much just saying if you're noticing that someone is a little squeamish or they're, they're not as, you know, on top of knowing the metrics or, you know, parts of the deal, then, then that's a flag for you. Yeah. Or sometimes they get defensive. Sometimes they get uncomfortable. Sometimes they get, you know, why are you asking me these things? Like even that tone, 
or sometimes I'm like, oh, let me get back on to you on that. Or maybe there's contradictions in their stuff. You know, people who are who do this at a high level are excited to explain their deal. You know what I mean? They're right. excited to tell you the, the story of this of the deal and how they found it and how they came up with the number and how they, you know, you know, if I do the deal, I'm excited to show to 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 walk through it. So uh when I get that defensiveness, when I get that um people are or or like salesmanship, you know, they're trying to go over they're trying to sell me on it um sales techniques nlp all that good stuff i'm i've been there done that so it's yeah it's gonna it's gonna take a lot longer for me to really be comfortable with the deal and if not if i'm not comfortable it's not worth my time totally yeah you have to feel feel good about who you're investing in and and what you're investing in yeah now you you've invested uh in a ton of different types of deals, yeah. uh, everything from multifamily, commercial shopping centers, self-storage, ATM funds, short-term rental funds, uh, or yeah. syndications, and uh, and even like a managed service provider fund. Yeah. Um, talk to us about, like, those are all very different. Uh, yes. And I imagine you you don't have expertise in most of them. How, how did you, uh, how did you figure out that you wanted to invest in those asset classes. How did those opportunities come about? How did you think about that? I mean, having been a management consultant, I'm used to being dropped into different industries and different places and different geographies. So I'm comfortable with the, um, with the change or with the, um, what's the word? Uh, things being obscure, things not being transparent, things to being new. So for me, I I, I'm, I I can spend probably an hour talking to somebody and understand the drivers of that business. And I may actually reveal the drivers to that bit to the business owner who's running and he because we may not know, you know, what the drivers are because I've seen so many other businesses. This one looks like that one. So so I'm comfortable with that with that aspect of it i just want to understand the drivers of the asset what are we trying to what are we trying to achieve are we are we going for steady cash flow are we taking are we looking for that big equity win are we going for uh, a turnaround or uh, a value add or um or yeah or some type of arbitrage of some sort and um so once i understand the strategy i want to understand the asset once I understand the asset, I want to understand the market. Once I understand the market, I want to understand the operator. And so I think that's pretty much the process that I go through mentally. And, and then once I understand the operator, then I go through the numbers with them. By then, it's already, I already kind of made my decision, right. but I just want to kind of reinforce what I just learned. And, um, and then once that happens, then it's easy for me to, to say yay or nay. So you, you've talked about that you had two kind of different strategies. One was more tax depreciation uh, as a benefit, and the other one was cash flow. Which, which investments had the highest tax depreciation? And, and maybe like what are the reasons for that? Yeah, um, you know, um, uh, uh, I, uh, we have re big retail, stand uh, standalone retail, as well as shopping centers in the middle of the market, middle of the country, kind of markets like, you know, Minnesota. 
And so, uh, because the, the value of the building is a lot, is 80% of the value of the whole thing, uh, you get the maximum amount of, uh, and then also, uh, assets there, cash flow there, you know, you can buy at a seven, eight, nine, 10, 11 cap. And, uh, and at the time, and, uh, and then you can finance, you could finance at, you know, 3%. So there's a big enough gap. And you get you get both. You get a little bit of cash. You get good cash, decent cash flow, and you get uh, max depreciation. Yeah, and uh, I also know that, for example, I, we're both uh, in an ATM fund. I'm wondering if we're in the same one. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah. but because those. Which one? Uh, oh man, I'm in David Zook. Pre, yeah, David Zook, uh, Prestige Equity yeah. Group. Yeah. 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 Right. yeah, I'm in yeah so yeah, the leverage. I'm in the leverage one. So that one also, you know, that's a great one. I like, I like that one a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And just to, to kind of like highlight the depreciation aspect, it's, it's, you're investing at least in this fund. It's a, it's a fund that invests in 4,000 ATMs across the country. Uh, and we're talking like automated teller machine things where you go and you, uh, put in your credit card or your debit card and you get cash out. Uh, and because these are machines, um, you're pretty much able to write off most of your investment. I think it's like 90 to 100 uh, percent. And then those things spit out cash flow. So whenever you get charged that three dollar fee from using an ATM, that's what the revenue that the fund collects that that we are then getting uh, getting those monthly mailbox money checks. So uh, yeah. yeah, so that that one kind of spans both the depreciation and yes. the cash flow uh, and kind of can yep. achieve both of those goals. Um, yeah. When you're thinking about cash flow, are you looking for cash flow immediately, or you know, in a lot of these kind of like value add deals where you buy a deal, you need to renovate it in some right. way, and then it starts cash flowing. Um, so I was, so I was in eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty one. I was looking for those uh, value add, you know, big payday. You know, quick, you know, a lot of them were, were had three, four year, five year, three to five, and then they were exiting within two, three, and they were great. But now those are, don't, are non-existent and, um, very risky. So I don't do that anymore. Yeah. Why do you, why do you think they're risky now? Well, because, you know, in a market where interest rates are low, you have the wind in your back. And you can make a mistake and the market will help you, will support you. In this market, if you make a mistake in your underwriting or your exit point or your rent appreciation or any or your cost um, or your timeline, anything can kill you. Any one of those mistakes can kill you in a market where, where liquidity is shrinking and uh, uh, values are you know, on the cusp you know, of coming down. So, so I would, yeah, it's just too much risk. Yeah. And usually rule number one is don't die. Yeah. Don't lose money. So, so how has your don't strategy shifted then? You know, so early on you were yeah. looking for tax breaks, then looking for cash flow, And now that the market's changed and interest yeah. rates are higher, how do you think about that? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I look for stuff like that deal, like the David Zook stuff. I'd also look for, um, uh, right now, I'm, I'm looking into service businesses and service businesses, anything from if you have to hire, if you hired a plumber or you hired um, 
an HVAC company or a pesticide company today, you know, it's hard to get good people to come on time and you're going to pay the, you're going to pay whatever they tell you you're going to pay. So um, right now, all the cash flow is there in the service business providers. And so for the good operators that have good teams with good cultures that have um, high level, strong recruiting and strong retention strategies, those guys are doing really well arbitraging um, the labor shortage that we're seeing. And so I'm, that's, that's what I do right now. So I, I buy them. I, 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 I invest in funds with good operators, but I also buy them directly myself. And hopefully I'm planning on building a fund myself as well. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds very similar to uh, one of the other funds that you mentioned before on the call, like these managed service providers. Tell us, tell us yeah. what makes that interesting to you. Let's go, let's go down that rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah. So, so managed service providers are essentially any third-party IT company that comes and helps your company build the network, or uh, you know, build their servers, or uh, do security, or maintain your computers. So, they're businesses that essentially hire technicians, and they rent you those technicians for a few hours. Or they, you can um, you can have dedicated uh, technology team for maybe one hundred and fifty to two hundred dollars a computer per month, and so there's a recurring um, um, recurring income component. And then, you know, they, they sell equipment, so they make a percentage of the equipment, and then they sell software, and they make a recurring income on the referral of that software. So there are three models where they make money, and, um, and, and, but the bulk of their cost is just labor, and they're usually anywhere between 48 to 55% gross margin, and they can net, you know, anywhere between 20 to 30% margin. So, and they're, um, right now they're being sold, uh, the smaller size under a million EBITDA, they're sold in uh, three to five per times multiple, um, anything over 2 million, they go up to like eight to 10 times multiple. So the, you know, as soon as revenue goes up and profitability goes up, uh, the multiple goes up. And which allows for really nice exits, um, in addition to the cash flow component as well. So they cash flow really well. So uh, a typical deal would have anywhere between ten to twelve percent preferred return. Um, it will return the money within three years, one hundred percent of the money within three years, um, and then it will have anywhere between thirty to thirty-five percent IRR. Um, and, and usually it'll be, it'll, it'll swap, it'll, it'll start like 80% paying to the investors and they'll swap after that 30 or 35% and then you stay on at 20% equity after that. How do you find so these it's deals? It's a really high return. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm interested now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so that's the beauty of like business acquisition is that it, it, it does, you know, it does provide, um, it does provide higher returns for sure. Yeah, that's uh, that's super fascinating. What, what, like, where do you go to find deals like that? Like, I haven't come across a deal like that. Probably because that's not the space I'm playing in. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, you know, I'm uh, like uh, because I've done this before. Like I, so 
I used to be the, the, the hired help, if you will, the contractor that comes and fixes this when, uh, uh, when uh, a, a company buys, a private equity buys a value add. So I used to be that person that goes in and, and adds the value. And so I have plenty of contacts in the space, but there are funds. There are plenty of funds. You know, just look up uh, small middle market private equity funds and or middle market private equity funds. Those are, you know, those are the ones. And you just talk to enough of them. Again, I'm, I'm hoping to start build one this year. But yes, uh, there are plenty out there. Um, you can um, uh, it's not it's not very hard to find. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to take a second and kind of go to one of your uh, deals that has went sideways. Before the show, we talked a little bit about yeah. um, one of those deals and would love to share that with the audience of just like, you know, share share one of the deals that you invested in, why it went sideways and, yeah. and what you've learned and maybe what, what you're going to do differently moving forward. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go a little bit graphic here, but... Uh, I love you know it. How, More like, graphic the better. <laughs> you know, I just say like kids that get abused, usually abused by someone they know and some family member or whatever. Usually investors get abused by someone who they know. <laughs> and I think this is one of those things where I've known this person for a long time. I've trusted them. Um, I've liked them. Uh, we've ne I've never worked with them, but I've been around this person. I've seen, I've known this person for a period of 10 years. Um, so which kind of like made me not, and, and we were in the market again, we were smack in the middle of like 2020, like the second half of 2020, 21, where you could do no wrong, if you will. So, uh, it's, it's the one time that I got screwed. It's like the one time that this happened to me. And it's the one time that I didn't pay attention and I didn't do any due diligence and I didn't really research much. Um, uh, I should have just called somebody that invested with this person before I would have found out that, that they, they haven't, they have not been, I wasn't like, I'm a skeptical person. You know what I mean? As an investor, I ask a lot of questions and I'm a skeptical person, but in this case I wasn't. So you, you got trusting. a little, you got a little, uh, you've gotten used to investing in deals and then, and then this one got away from you. Yes. And I, yeah. And I knew, the, and I trusted the person because I thought I knew the guy and it just turned out. And, and honestly, it's not like the person was a bad person. They just, they were just incompetent to, to this at that scale. So set the scene. You know, so they were a bit. Set the scene. Like, it, yeah, what was so, the asset? When did you invest? What, like, when did you start yeah. to notice things go sideways? Yeah. So it's a single family flip fund, and um, and it was end of I believe it was end of twenty twenty, early twenty one, and the goal is to acquire you know hundreds thousands of houses and then. Um, or fix them and buy, buy and hold and then put tenants in there and then build a portfolio that we can sell to a private equity. And that was the play. And, um, and so, so this person was doing okay at a small scale, maybe 50 to a hundred houses. But what they did is that they raised and they found enough, they raised enough money to go scale to that thousand, 2000, you know, homes 
but they didn't have the capabilities, the team, the leadership skills, the management, the, the financial chops to be able to run that big of an operation. And they sold it. They were really good. It was a good communicator, good salesperson. They sold it as they had this, you know, um, mission impossible team that can get it done, but they did. And essentially like a few months later, um, we started asking more questions. Um, we, the people that were asking the questions did not have answers or they will say they were going to come back to us and they don't. And the numbers, you know, the, the, the pref returns weren't there. Um, and we asked more questions and, and then you start seeing turnover and the team. And then, um, and then you find out that it's all, you know, coming down, collapsing, and they're asking you for money. They're asking you for more money. And, you know, and then the decision is you just put in more good money after bad, or you just walk away and you eat it. And I, you know, I decided to just walk away. It's not worth my time. My mental health is, is uh, valuable. And, yeah. uh, and I don't want to put bad money, good money after bad money. Yeah. So how, how do you think, I mean, we talk a lot on the show about operator first, you know, and a lot of people say, you know, I've known this guy for a really long time and, you know, he's someone who I trust and, and I look at the operator first and the deal second. And, and so this is maybe a, a good example of how that, how that's gone sideways. I mean, you, you also, you mentioned that, you know, it would have been good to maybe connect with other investors who've invested with them. Do you think that really would have uncovered this or are there other things that you're now having yeah. your mental checklist moving forward? Well, it's, it's a good question. I think you have to look at it like, so if you know, whether you know somebody, you don't know them, you have to like, you give them the same level of scrutiny. And, and then you literally have to like, you don't want to go in with the warm and fuzzies. You want to go in with like a cold hearted, I'm going to get to the bottom of this kind of, you know, scenario. Like what, what can I find? So I don't invest in this person. And I mean, that's pretty much the, the idea. And if you don't, we can't find anything and the deal looks good, then yeah, then that's when you invest. And uh, to me, that's how I've always done it. Except that one time when you know, I went in deciding that I'm going to invest before I did my due diligence. So, and, um, and I just went through the numbers and people can show you any numbers. They went through the team. They can show you anything. Uh, it doesn't matter. It's, it's uh, the experience. Yeah. I should have, I should have called enough people. I should have asked more questions. Um, but I didn't just because I, I kind of knew the guy. Yeah. So, happens. Yeah. happens. Me once. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Yeah. I think, I think there's, there, there, like, it, it, I think a lot of it is, is people uh, understanding numbers for sure, understanding the deal, understanding the, the asset, understanding the structure, understanding the market, understanding the operator. All these things are all data points, um, that are, add up at the end, you know. So, uh, when, you know, when we talk, we're not going through them, but there, these things are happening so quickly, so fast and all at the same time that sometimes we don't break down that process in our mind, how we're going through. And if you go in with um, thinking that you're going to invest with somebody before you even do due diligence, you're going to skip all that and, and make a mistake. 
Yeah, it happens happens to the best of us. What um, you, you've mentioned something where you talk about understanding the market. It's something I've heard often. What does that mean to you? Yeah, so understanding the the population growth, understanding income growth, understanding the drivers of that of that change of that growth or that you know, if the strategy is to go to a growing market, okay, uh, how 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 is it growing? How much growth? And then why? And is it growing just in population? Is growing in income as well? And and then what are the drivers behind this? Is there like new industries or is it just um, and it's just in, in the environment that, or the economic environment that we're living in because of COVID or because of something else. So, so I think it's just going, you know, peeling the layers essentially of the story behind the market. If someone comes in and says, Oh, this is a stable market. Great. What does that mean? What is a stable market? What's, what are the drivers of that stability? You know, is there a certain type of employers are there? Are there uh, certain types of industries, certain type of, you know, so lifestyle. So there, I just want to understand, you know, uh, how this market has done in the past. How is it going to try to predict how is it going to do in the future based on, you know, different data points? Yeah, something uh, a mentor of mine has told me, for example, is like looking at Detroit. Uh, so if you're investing in Detroit and the automakers are the only real uh, employers there, well, in times of bad economic crisis, like in 2008, when a lot of the revenue of those companies went down and they laid off a ton of employees, they were really the only employer of that market. So if you owned real estate during yeah. that time in those markets, you would have been crushed. Absolutely, yeah. And a lot of times you think, oh, the you know they say, oh, there's um, uh, there's the banking industry and then there's the medical system. Well, maybe if the banking industry goes away, that medical system is not going to be there or they, they, you don't think they're correlated, but they are. And, you know, if you have a big drop in population or big drop of incomes, a lot of other things are going to affect it that may not look uh, correlated. They're going to be correlated. So I just want to understand the dynamic, you know, demographic is destiny, especially for, especially for, you know, deals. Yeah. Uh, Jay, this was awesome. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Uh, I loved having you on and um, looking forward to seeing you soon. Thank you for having me.